Hey, y'all. You're listening to How I Got Here with Drina Whitfield, the podcast that dives deep into the unique journeys of some of the dopest entrepreneurs, business leaders, and personalities I know. I'm your host, Drina Whitfield. I created this podcast to have real, honest conversations about the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. Grab your notebook, sit back, relax, and catch these gems. She is the founder and CEO of Her Agenda. She was awarded a grant for Her Agenda from Beyonce's Be Good Foundation in collaboration with the NAACP. She is a publishing boss, an award-winning journalist. She won an Emmy, and she was named to the 2017 Forbes Magazine's 30 Under 30 list. Essence Magazine has named her among 50 founders to watch. She's also one of NBC Black's 28 Under 28, and BET named her as 29 people to know. She's also spoken at the White House during the Obama administration in the United States of Women's Summit. Thank you, Rani Shabing, for joining me today. Thank you, Drina, for that amazing intro. So I wanted to interview you because I've watched your journey and growth of her agenda, and I love how you've created this community for millennial women where they can get access information and inspiration to kind of push them to the next level professionally and personally. So thank you so much for being here today. You know, I've worked with you and your team for a few years to kind of highlight a few of our clients. And I always look to her agenda as a resource to, you know, shine a light on any of our amazing female clients who are really trailblazing and building paths in hopes that they can share and provide guidance insight along their journey. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm really proud of you and her agenda. You out here killing it. Thank you. It's 13 years this year that we've been around. Started it in 2008 as a 19-year-old college student, and I really wanted it to exist to be exactly what it is now, which is it's it took a while to get here, but to really truly be a platform that provides content, community, and access to resources that can help to both inspire, because inspiration is good, but you also need the information and access to the resources that can help you to take that next step. And so that is manifested through a database of panels and conferences and events that can help you. It's all listed on the website. Um, Networking and, and community has been pivotal in my career. All those accolades you said, Mm -hmm. it was a name of a person, an individual who said yes, or who pushed me into an opportunity, even if I felt like I wasn't ready. And I just, it it just catapulted from there. I love that. I love that. We're going to touch on that, but I want to take it back to when you were graduating high school. I asked everyone this question. And, you know, in the yearbook, when you're, they always ask you, where do you see yourself in 10 years? What did Ranisha write? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's funny that you asked this because I actually, I talked a lot to young people. And one thing that I talk a lot about is the questions that we ask ourselves and the questions that other people ask us. And one question I got asked a lot as a kid was, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it bothered me so much that I didn't have an answer to the question mm-hmm. because, and, and granted, I'm a kid, so I shouldn't have to have the answer to it. <laughs> I felt this real extreme pressure to figure it out because I felt like I had a big purpose or a big goal 
that was sort of set upon my life, like a mission that God gave me to fulfill, but I couldn't articulate what it was. So it was, mm-hmm. I was always trying to find out the answer to that question. So I remember when I was eight years old, and I'm just telling you like the, the real, real, so it's going to be a little mm-hmm. bit of a story. I was eight years old sitting in my room. I shared a room with my brother in, I think we lived in Queens at the time. I'm from New York. I'm from Brooklyn. And uh, watching TV, and I felt this voice say that I was going to be on TV one day. And I'm like, what? I'm going to be an actress or a singer? Because that's the only people you saw on TV. Yeah. Entertainers. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to be an entertainer. Fast forward to me being in high school, and I took a journalism class. And that was the moment where it made sense. Because this was a profession that would allow me to ask questions for a living, which I already did. Like my family calls me nosy all the time, <laughs> me acting like it was a bad thing. Like, why are you always asking these questions? You always got to ask why. Stop being so nosy. Um, and I always, I had this reputation as a kid too, as a tattletale, which is really bad. But that was like the early form of reporting. So these natural things that came to me that I didn't even think about were skills that could be utilized in a career. And then I looked to people like Oprah and just so many legendary reporters on television. And I was like, whoa, this is this is it. This is what yeah. I'm supposed to do with my life. Journalism, telling stories. And this is the beginning also of the internet becoming a vehicle for people to tell stories. So all of that kind of collided and happened at the same time. So I was 16 when I discovered this, when this, I had this aha moment, as Oprah calls it. So high school me would have told you um, in 10 years, I'm going to be the next Oprah and have an empire and, <laughs> and run my own media company. And and that's what I went on to pursue. I mean, it didn't happen overnight. Like you said, we're going to get into that. But I always had the idea that I wanted to be in media to have ownership of my career through having ownership of a company and, and making sure that that company had a positive impact on the world. Wow. You know, at that age, I mean, I think I still had realistic dreams of like at eight years old, I had unrealistic dreams of like being a singer. Oh. I mean, so like you already at eight, you're like, nope, I think that's what I want to do. And then for you to say, um, you're, you were a tattletale and what, what did you say? Early form reporting? Love it. Reporting crime. Yeah, I I definitely went down that path where I thought I would be a singer too. And and Brandy was on Heavy Rotation, Never Say Never album. Shout out to that album. And my uncle was actually, he was a correct, he was a detective, but in his spare time, he thought he was a music producer. He had a little studio in his basement. And when he found out I wanted to sing, oh my God, he had me in that studio. Like (laughs) he was Matthew Knowles and I was Beyonce. Yes. Look, you got to have people that believe in you, okay? <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it didn't pan out. <laughs> but ironically, my boyfriend works in the music industry, and I always am joking with him, like, yo, sign me and email. <laughs> Look, it might still be a little opportunity for you to dabble, but lay down some background vocals. You never know. Yep. <laughs> I actually did have an opportunity. This is very random fun fact. I was mentioned in a, a hip hop song, a rap song 
called Brooklyn Girls that was by a rapper named Charles Hamilton. Yes, look it up. It's on Spotify title, everything. It was big at the time, especially in New York. It was called Brooklyn Girls. And he's from Harlem. He was signed to Interscope Records at the time. And he put out a song about how amazing Brooklyn Girls are. And he mentioned my name. He said, Ranisha's fly and she's sweeter than Splenda because no one ever slows her agenda. Listen, you better know that verse. You better know your mention. I'm like, I'm part of hip hop history, really, Loki. <laughs> don't realize. <laughs> and I know that your motto, which I love, by the way, is no one ever slows her agenda. So, how did you come up with that? Because you just said that he mentioned it in the track. Yeah. So, I came up with it and it sort of became bigger than me. And that's one example of that which is interesting because I really believe that when you declare and set your mission, your community will hold you accountable to it and it will help you to manifest your goals and and attract opportunities. So I came up with that motto in high school because I was at the time, I had discovered my passion. I hit the ground running. I was going to press conferences and covering my own stories outside of what they were assigning us in school. Like I was part of the school newspaper, but. Uh, Wait, at what age were you going to press conferences? <laughs> what age were you going to press conferences? I was, I was 16, 17 at press conferences. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. I was going to, you know, news events. So I was part of a after school co- program called Harlem Live. And it was the first, maybe only at the time, online teen newspaper. And then I also had my own blog that I would write for. And this is back when no one knew what a blog was, really. Blogger was sort of new. And people thought it was a website. I'm like, no, this is a blog. Like anyone can just make one, but okay. Um, here we are. So I ended up covering Gordon Parks's funeral, wow. Lenny Kravitz, and a bunch of other people kind of in that press pack, you know, it wasn't like a sit down, you know, like I said a question and shoved the mic in his face kind of thing. Did red carpets. I did all of that. And what I noticed, though, is everyone had a business card and I didn't have one. And so when I'm talking to them, exchanging contact, this is before iPhones, people have Blackberries. I had a sidekick phone flip thing. (laughs) And so to exchange contacts on the go, you really needed to have a card. So my card, I had to figure out what to put on it because I didn't have a company that I worked for. So I was like, I want to put something that's going to make me stand out and make me be memorable. So I just created this acronym from my from my name because my name is Ranisha. I started to shorten it because it was a little hard for people to remember Ranisha. So I'm like, okay, I'll go by Nisha and I'll turn it into this acronym. And it truly was inspired by again music because I really get inspired by the story of you know, these people who create something that's so impactful and come from nothing. And at the time, like I said, celebrities were covered so heavily in the media. So you couldn't help but know what their story was. So one band that I really connected to was NERD, which is rented yeah. um, by Pharrell Williams. And NERD stands for No One Ever Really Dies. And so I was like, okay. I kind of have like some of those letters in my name. So I just did the no one ever. And I said, slows her agenda because I was literally on the go all the time, going to school, going to the after school program, then 
going to cover stories. I was always on the go and on the move and I always had a mission. So it really just fit. And then I put that name up on my blog and my MySpace page and everywhere, my business card. And people then started to say it to me before I even said it to them. Like, oh, you're the girl that no one ever was her gender girl. <laughs> wow. And this is all before co- before you graduated high school, right? Yes. This is all before I graduated. But it was like very pivotal and the foundation for everything that came next. Because when I did go to college, I went to college in Indiana, which there's no media happening there. But I still took that same hustle. I had that same network and grew it from there. Wow. I love that you were so laser focused on your goal of what you wanted to ultimately do at such a young age. And so you graduated high school. Uh, Where did you go to college in Indiana? DePaul University. And what sort of stories were you covering there? So when I got there, it was a culture shock for sure. (laughs) It's a small school. 2,000 students. I had come from a high school with 4,000 students. And uh, I don't know what the percentage of the population for Black people were, but you knew all the Black people there, basically, maybe like 150, 180. So it was a very big culture shock. So I spent some time getting adjusted and even understanding, like, what can I do while I'm here? And when I was there, I wasn't interested in joining the school newspaper or anything. I didn't want to cover you know, on campus stuff. And I had a lot of mentors who were editors at, like I said, this is a time when digital media and digital journalism was very, very new still. So they were looking for writers and people who could kind of turn around stories quickly. So one of my mentors was working at AOL, which was just getting into the content game. And so I started freelance writing for AOL. And I also took advantage of the fact that no one was really thinking about bringing their work outside of the bubble of school. So we would have big artists come to campus. Like my freshman year, Lupe Fiasco came. I interviewed him and it was very easy. It was easier than, than it was to request an interview with him in New York because there's not any competition. No one is is asking to interview Lupe. And I also interviewed Fabulous and Big Sean. And Big Sean was like, that was a big deal because it was on camera too. So I just was doing what I could with where I was. And so that's a lot of the stories that I covered, just like artists and then um, just like youth culture, youth issues, things like that for AOL. Love it. So that was essentially your your first, I'm I'm assuming you were paid, right? So that was your first journalism gig? Yep, I was paid, but that actually wasn't my first paid gig in media. I actually started working at NBC when I was 17, and it was a paid internship. Radisha, how do you just jump over that? What? Yep. At 17? Yep. My first, first internship, I was not paid. It was it was a, like a under-the-table internship, but it, it gave me so much experience. It was with a woman named Rakia Mays, and I ended up like helping her write her morning reports. Like She was the morning entertainment reporter. I eventually was writing those uh, reports for her. So I got so much experience working there. She was also an editor of a magazine, an independent magazine called The Ab. So I was able to see that it was possible to create something, even if you had a full-time job and like what the the sacrifices that they made and the behind the scenes of 
what really happened at an editorial meeting when it's like a bunch of journalists that are like doing this for the love of it. So that was really pivotal for me to see. But I ended up with the paid internship at NBC through a program, which if anyone here is listening and has mentees that are interested in media, should definitely look it up. It's called the Emma Bowen Foundation, and they allow high school students to intern at top media companies and they get paid and you come back to that same media company every year until you graduate high school. So I started when I was 17 and I was with them all the way through graduation. Oh, wow. So this is only if you're in high school. So you can apply as late as like, I think your sophomore year of college. So you can apply as early as high school, but it's not only for high school. Wow. I mean, that's amazing because, you know, at that age, a lot of teenagers aren't necessarily focused on getting internships or or even know what they want to do with their life. Like like you said, you still didn't know, but you had an idea. And so you proactively went after these opportunities. Yeah. I didn't exactly know what my media career would be, but I knew I wanted to learn everything. So I wanted to see what the TV newsroom was like. I wanted to see what magazines were like. I wanted to get training in how to shoot, how to be on camera, how to craft and write an in-depth investigative feature. I wanted to learn all aspects of it. And then the tough part came for me when they asked me to basically pick one. I was like, what? Pick one. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know about that. I've been doing everything for all these years that I don't want to pick one. (laughs) So that's another push of why I ended up creating my own thing. Got it. So you go to DePaul and what was your major? Communications. And so did you ever ultimately join the school paper? I did not. The only thing I did there, they they have a really good communication program overall. But what I did is I um, made my own TV show. So I would rent out the TV equipment. Girl, Um, what? It was called (laughs) Dormoon Diaries. And I was so extra where I wanted it to be authentic. So I made my friends bring the lighting and the camera equipment to an actual dorm room to film, which was terrible because it was so hot. In that little dorm. <laughs> so we eventually moved back to a studio. But yeah, I did that. And then I had a radio show, which was really fun because I had never done radio before. And you got to learn the equipment and you had a regular time slot. And it was like a real radio station. It was a 24 hour station. And that's like a, a, a very rare thing in the college world. So that's something mm-hmm. that back to me to it. Um, And I was part of an honors program called Media Fellows that they had. But in terms of journalism training, I didn't get any of that from school. I got all of that through actual work experience. But the good thing, though, is like, you know, I was a communications major, too. And, you know, it opens the door to so many other opportunities and possibilities with comms that you never even knew existed until you actually just at school and you're learning. So I love that you were able to kind of dabble in everything to kind of see what you really liked, right? So you had your own blog. You was like, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do freelance writing for AOL. I'm going to have my own TV show at school and I'm going to have my own radio show as well. Because that I'm sure those different experiences help contribute to, you know, 
deciding what you ultimately wanted to do. Yep, exactly. All of it was training for what I didn't know was going to come, but I knew it would be something that would require me to have these skills. Okay, so you graduate college, and what was your first gig? So when I graduated college, I ended up working at NBC, and that was a big deal for a young girl from Brooklyn with no connections to get the first job out of college at a number one market station in New York. But for me, I was very kind of disappointed in myself, like I had settled to just like get a job like everyone is supposed to do when I felt like I had this bigger purpose, which was really hard for me. But everything really does happen for a reason because everything that I got to do and learn there, I carried it over and it helped me to be a better CEO and a better business person. It was really an incredible job that was really just created for me. Um, They had never had a news associate at that station before. That is a national program NBC has, and they were just bringing it to local for the first time. And you were the first one. And I was the first one, yep. And it allowed me to really get a sense of the entire media experience. I started on the assignment desk, and then I moved to field producing, which allowed me to be out in the field and shoot my own stories, write them, do interviews. I did everything except for except for go on camera. But when I had spare time, I did practice like being on camera and I did a reel and all that, thinking I was going to take that traditional TV news path maybe one day. Then went to the investigative unit, which was really fun for me because I love to research and dig and call people out, like I was saying when I was a kid, I was the tattletale. So I'm like, oh, this person messed up, or you, um, Love it. you, you were wrong by this company. We're gonna put them on blast. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then by the end, I was basically doing everything. Like I was just like that one that they would send to the scene first to see if it was a story or to like gather elements for the story. And that's how I ended up winning an Emmy is because I came into the newsroom like flex before I could even put my stuff down and like go to the Empire State Building. There's a police involved shooting. They didn't give me any info. I just had to get on the train and like figure it out when I got there and communicate with the newsroom. So it was a really exciting time. I learned a lot and when it came time to the, for me to have my contracts completed, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I did, I knew I didn't want to be a producer and it, that job would have put me on that path to be a TV producer. And I didn't want that. So I decided to just take a risk and try to go out on my own. It was very emotional for me. I like cried on my last day because oh. I was there for like five years at that point. So wait, let's rewind it back a bit because I like how you just glossed over this this light flex of you winning an Emmy. So what, tell me about what this, like, so you said you had to go to Empire State Building. Like, tell me about that. So that was actually a very tragic story, which is another reason why I didn't stay in news because it's a lot of crime and negativity. Yes, it can be depressing. Exactly. So it was, um, a story of a man who was fired and the next day he came to work and he oh. brought a gun and he ended up shooting 
people. No. Uh. So I went and a lot of the times because I was just very sensitive to other people. And like, I had a lot of empathy when I was approaching people. So that would allow for people to feel more comfortable with opening up and sharing with me. So I was able to get a lot of footage of things that happened, like that people had on their cell phones and also get really good eyewitness testimony. That was sort of like what my talent was when I was there. And we did all day coverage of that shooting. And so it was a part of team reporting, essentially. It was like the whole team won. And so like if the whole team won, when yeah. mm-hmm. a credit on it too. So it wasn't like a specific story that I did, but it was like being part of that team coverage that was Emmy award winning team coverage. But still it's a major accomplishment. Yeah. I know it's part, I know it's part of a team, but <laughs> like I can't walk around and say I got an Emmy, you know? <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny though because it wasn't automatic and I I tell people this all the time, you can't tell yourself no before anyone else tells you no. And setting the stage for this, you know, I'm entry level, I'm new. And the news director sends around an email before she sends the names to the Emmy committee. Like, these are the stories. These are the names of everyone who worked on it. If your, your name is missing from anything, let us know. So it was really on me in that moment to sit and say, because my name wasn't on it, to say like, Am I where I should speak up or am I, is it too soon? Like, do I need to pay more dues? Like, did they leave me off on purpose? You could talk yourself out of it a million ways, but I decided to just reply and be like, hey, I worked on this story and would love to be added because I'm like, who am I not to? Like, so many of my ancestors sacrificed so much for me to even be in this position and I am also opening the door and setting the standard for those who come behind me. So the worst he could say is no. So I asked and then they said, yes, of course. But I always think back to that moment because I was so young and so early in my career, how there's a million reasons where I could have just stayed quiet and just been like, oh, maybe next time they'll include me. No, you have to speak up and raise your hand, especially when you did the work. Like, don't be raising your hand and you didn't do the work. But when you did the work, make sure you speak up about it. Because unlike school, you don't get automatically rewarded just because you did the work. You have to actually show your work and and speak about your work in order to get acknowledged for the work. Right. And how old were you? I was 21 or 22. Wow. So many people would have been afraid to, like, just reply and say, hey, I worked on this, too. Exactly. Yep. And you have to get over that fear because it's just, it's not just about you. It's especially when you're a black woman Yes. where there's not many of us. And so just think about that. Think about the next girl that can come after you and think about the sacrifices that were made for you to get there. Like can't let your feelings get in the way of getting your acknowledgement. The fact that you were you were 21 and you had the intuition and courage to even just insert yourself, like make sure you were inserted into like the accolades that came with that story is, is amazing because I, you know, when a lot of kids graduate college and they're in their first job, they're just trying to learn the ropes, trying not to make like a big splash, trying to just pay their dues. But I think 
you know, just hearing your story, you recognize, you know, as a Black woman and as a woman in the space, I want to get credit for my work. And I'm not going to let y'all erase me from that. So the fact that you had an Emmy at 21 because you you felt the the urge to like stand up for yourself and uh, you know acknowledge the need for them to you know make sure you were included in you know the roundup is amazing. Yep, and I have to credit a lot of that to my mentor mm-hmm. and all of the women that I really got to see up close advocate for themselves. And so I was just like, I've seen this done before. I can do it because I've seen it done before. And then I think that's also helpful for just anyone. When you see someone, you know, representation matters, right? So when you see something, you see someone able to do like stand up for themselves, demand, you know, recognition, acknowledgement, um, you know, a raise or whatever, you kind of want to mirror those things for yourself because you've seen them do it successfully. And I also think, you know, that probably has helped you with, you know, launching her agenda and kind of taking the quote unquote entrepreneurial route with your career. Yep. Yep. And journalism in and of itself is very entrepreneurial mm-hmm. because you come into the newsroom with nothing and then you have to put all these elements together and often you're under-resourced as well. Even if you're at a big company, they're very stingy with the budget and you have to have a product by five o'clock or 10 o'clock, whatever time your show is airing and there's no room for excuses. You can't say, oh, this person didn't call me back. Okay, so then who else are you going to get? And that's the same mentality that you need to have with entrepreneurship. Like, oh, this brand turned me down or, oh, this person didn't answer my email. Okay, so figure it out and find another way. Listen or follow up. Or follow up. Some people don't even do that. They're just like, oh, I didn't get a response. So I'll just leave it. Nah, follow up. Be aggressive. Exactly. So you were at NBC for five years. Mm Mm-hmm. And is this when you had that moment of like, you know what, I'm, it's time for me to launch my own thing. Like you said, the news can be a bit depressing. You know, you, you can take that home to your personal life and it affects you all kinds of ways when you're dealing with such traumatic, you know, news. I I imagine it was like a course of ups and downs, right? But you were there for five years. When did you decide, you know, it's time for me to start my own media platform? Well, I had already started. You did it before, yeah. But I, mean, I needed that. to take it seriously. So the whole time I was working, I was always thinking in the back of my mind, like I want to just prepare for being an entrepreneur. So I had saved, like I was trying to buy a house or something. <laughs> like I had, by the end of that year, I had like 25K in savings. And What? <laughs> Yeah. I was so cheap, Drina. Like literally my friends would joke on me because at the time they would always like to go to brunch and do this and that. And they're like, you have a full-time job and you act like you don't work. And I'm like, because I'm saving my money to build my empire. Thank you. No, that's right. (laughs) They wanted to offer me a full-time job as an assignment desk editor. And I decided that I was just going to try my own thing freelance for a little bit. Since I had so much savings, I was going to freelance to just 
continue to make income. And I found a developer and a designer to relaunch the site. So I relaunched it and was like, okay, I'm going to create some systems and structures around this so that we can be consistent with delivering high quality content and grow this into a real business. Now, it was a real wake up call because it didn't happen the way that I thought. Like, I didn't get any brands, I didn't get a lot of things. So, I started to run out of money and I actually did have to go back to work, but I was very strategic with where I went. So, I eventually ended up working at the Huffington Post as an editor because I had never worked at a digital media company that was at scale. And I went in there with the intention of like learning the best systems and structures for you to have a sustainable digital media platform. And that's what I did. I was there only for like six or seven months. And then when I left there, I got into what's called an accelerator program. So I finally, after all these years of applying to them, got into a program that was built to help to groom and launch founders to start companies that were focused on creating solutions for women and girls. And that program really was pivotal in terms of helping me to understand the business side of building this company. I think a lot of especially young black women, we are we are by default very creative and we can create things that make huge impact. But the thing that we lack in is the business side, developing the forecasting, yep. financial forecasting, understanding the language and the lingo of the numbers and the metrics and figuring out what business model truly is, figuring out what our value proposition is. And so that program really helped. And, you know, because I had started so young with quote unquote branding myself, I don't, I never called it that at the time, but after a while, that's what people started calling it. Mm -hmm. I was sort of used to not having to explain myself. And so being in that program helped me to better articulate the mission and the purpose of my company because I couldn't rely on the fact that like someone had already known what I was doing or they they knew who I was or they knew heard about my work. I had to explain it in very clear and specific terms and that was very hard for me. It was it was a very vulnerable moment and and experience. Like it was it was a 10-week program. I think it was 10 weeks. And at the end of each week, your cohort ranked you. And like, it was like some Oh, yikes. And so I started out at the bottom and I was like so defeated because I'm like, I've been doing this for like longer than any of them. And like, how am I at the bottom? But eventually by the end of the program, because only two companies would win money. So I ended up finishing third. So I almost was one of the companies that won money. But my growth was like the most out of everybody. And I went on after that to create these decks that would allow me to land brand partnerships because I had all the elements, I had all the pieces, but I just needed to know how to put it together and and get it in front of the right people. And that experience helped me to do that. I love that because, you know, so many people try to start, you know, whether it be 
digital platforms, businesses or brands and think like the moment they start, like it's going to click and you're going to be having all these sales or you're going to have all these click throughs or you're going to have all these advertisers want to be attached to your brand. And that's not necessarily the case. So it's important that you have a clear understanding of that, but also that you align yourself or apply for opportunities that can really help you build that foundation. Yep. And you have to really be get over yourself and be willing to look silly and look a little dumb and and be vulnerable because it is your baby and it it does feel personal, but you have to kind of learn to get that thick skin and recognize like feedback is really a gift. And when people are giving you that feedback, you can receive it and do what you do, what you will with it. But it really could be a gift for you to, to learn and to grow. And with her agenda, when you launched it, well, after the accelerator program, what was the focus always to be what it is now? Yes. So in that program, I we figured out what our first revenue stream would be, which was something that still exists today. So we launched that in 2015. It's a private community called Her Agenda Insiders. And that it lives through a Slack group, essentially, where we have women from all across the country that are acting as peer mentors to each other and sharing resources, sharing jobs from like the hidden job market. Like if someone works at Twitter and they're like, oh, we're hiring for this position, but they didn't post it yet. So email me your resume. Those type of hookups happen in that group. So we launched that in 2015. And now fast forward to 2020 and 2021. And it seems like everybody has a digital community. But we got lucky in a sense because we had already set it up. We had the systems and structures in place. And so when the pandemic happened and our number one revenue stream after a certain amount of time ended up being brand deals and sponsor content. But when that shut down, we still had the insider community, which isn't our biggest revenue driver, but it's our most consistent because it's recurring. And so I say that to say like, there's a blessing sometimes in you getting denied the path that you think that you should go down because I wanted to raise investor money and, and have this big amount of capital infusion at the launch after the accelerator. I was like, oh, I'm going to pick pitch investors. I didn't get money from investors. And so that forced us to really focus on, okay, how are we going to make money? And so we we were focused on driving revenue instead of driving investment dollars, which then put us in a better position to survive when this pandemic happened. Mm. I mean, you know, they say rejection is God's protection and it often like puts you on a different, the path you're supposed to be on. Exactly. And so tell me a little bit about some of the interviews you've done with Her Agenda. Like who's your favorite? Oh my gosh, we've done. You you don't have to say me. I know, I know. (laughs) But um, who are some of your favorites? You've interviewed some pretty impressive. (laughs) Oh my god, the lies, the lies. You've interviewed some pretty impressive women. So, like, do you have a, a few favorites out of the bunch? Well, I definitely will say, you know, you laugh when I when we talk about you, but I really truly enjoy being able to shine a light on the women putting in the work behind the scenes, the women that typically you don't see 
in the article, you don't see in the video interviews and things like that, but like, you know, that they are putting in the work. And that's really why I even started it is to shine a light on the women that we don't normally hear about that we should hear about because they have inspiring stories and they have accomplished like impossible things or what the world said was impossible. And that to me is the most inspirational. But in terms of names that the audience might recognize, so for me, the early days were pivotal and like whenever we would get a, a big name it was such a big deal and so one interview I really remember is Soledad O'Brien and Soledad is this legendary legend journalist and you know I cold reached out to her and she said yes and the key part about this though is that I didn't do the interview myself this was in the beginning of me learning to delegate and like also offer opportunities to others that didn't have me at the center. And so I actually extended the offer to my contributor group and one of them did the interview. And so that was the first time that I really kind of started to feel like a boss, like, wow, I set this up and then I handed it off and we published it and, and we went on from there. And I'm like, wow, this is a system that makes sense. Like I can reach out and, and then hand it off to someone else. So that was a beautiful moment. So that um, we also interviewed Misty Copeland. That was beautiful. Miko Branch, who's the founder of Miss Jessie, she's been such a huge supporter of us. She's like been featured on the website. She also did a live event with us and she did like several interviews with us. Just whatever we call, she always answers. She's such a lovely person and always gives back and wants to help. Yeah, those are just some of the ones that come to mind. Ariana Huffington, which was this full circle moment because I worked at the Huffington. Right. I mean, that's why, you know, let's, talk real quick about like shooting your shot. Like a lot of people be so afraid to just shoot your shot. The fact that you just cold emailed and and it happened, uh-huh. that's a testament to just getting out there and like shooting your shot. When I started with PR, legit, I had no media contacts and I was just cold emailing people and like throwing things out there to see what would stick. And so I feel like when people are just so fearless and have a clear focus, they're, they're successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you go back to your why, your mission and your purpose, even if you don't know what your purpose is, just like your why is something that you can go back to. And if you focus on that and you don't focus on the shame or the fear of rejection, then it helps you to continue to put yourself out there. And when you cold email, it's only between you and that person. There's no audience watching you like, oh, haha, this person didn't answer you. Right. <laughs> it's just a private thing. And you don't know where where it can bring you. Even just that, that was just the beginning of our relationship with Soledad O'Brien. I eventually like years later reconnected with her because she was following us on Twitter, got her phone number, like chatted with her in her office in Chelsea. Like I still have her number to this day. Like she's like, text me if you ever need anything. So. Yep. Now you're friends. (laughs) (laughs) Now one person that hasn't worked with yet is Oprah, but we're going to manifest that. It will soon. Yep. Put it on out there. Let's claim it. You heard it here first folks. Yes. (laughs) I recently just revisited the website 
And I'd love how large a contributor group has grown. Let's talk about that and how, like, how I know you made the conscious decision to like make it not all about you. And so that's why you started your contributor group. But how have you been able to grow it over the years? So that was something that was very organic because of everything that I was doing and because I had put it out there. As we grew and as we were doing things, I would share regular updates with my network and on social media. And so that led to in 2013 or 2012, when I relaunched it the first time, a girl reached out to me that I had met at a networking event. And she said, I would love to write for you. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't have any money to pay you. And she said that she just wanted to get the experience. And more and more of those type of inquiries started to come where then I eventually had maybe 10 or 15 people who were regularly writing a rotation. And so it then became my mission to figure out how to pay them because I know that in the media world, often companies don't pay writers. And I think that that is atrocious and so wrong. (laughs) And so if we are this platform advocating for women and saying women deserve equal pay and equal rights, we can't be out here not paying writers. So (laughs) I have a volunteer crew up until 2016. and, And that's when we first started to make money. And the first people that I paid were our writers. But it all really just the contributor network grew organically to a certain point. And then at at the end of 2016, we decided to actually formally put out an application. So there is an application on the website now where you can apply to be a contributor. And we go through that maybe once every two months to bring in a new crop of people. But yeah, before before that process came to be, it was just really organic which is what I preferred because I wanted to have a a writer who was going to take initiative where we didn't say, oh, we're looking for writers, but they were like, I'm going to shoot my shot. I want to email the info at heragenda.com email and say, hey, I'm a writer. I would love to write for you. That's the type of woman that I wanted to have write for us because she was going to find the information, take the initiative, put herself out there and set up herself. Fearless. She wanted. Mm-hmm. And that's the type of mindset and mentality that we wanted to permeate through the site. So that's also why for a long time we didn't put out an application or call out for contributors. I love it. You got to be fearless. Shoot your shot. Exactly. And then um, we had some other people join our team and, and that grew from the contributor community. So our first managing editor was actually a longtime contributor. And she met with me and said, you know, I want to do more. I want to be more involved in the content and the day-to-day. And I'm like, well, we kind of need a managing editor because at that point I still was editing everything and scheduling everything. This was in 2016 again, maybe in the middle of that year when we first hired our managing editor and it grew from from someone who was a longtime contributor. And often our managing editors do come through our contributor community, like our current Managing editor, her name is Diasia, and she was a former intern with us. She interned when she was in high school, too. She's like my mentee. I actually met her in church. She interned with me when she was 16. She didn't even know how to put together an email. Uh, 
she left me, she just, she had all my, all my secrets and all my sauce and she continued to grow in, in her career. And she's now phenomenal. So talented and fantastic. And like, literally me at that age, she's like around like 24 now, but she's done so much and she has so much experience. So I was excited to have this full circle moment for her to step in as managing editor and have her grow to the next thing, whatever that's going to be. I love it. You got to teach, um, teach, teach the babies. (laughs) So tell me about speaking at the white house during the Obama administration. Like how did that even come about? Oh, wow. That came about a little bit from FOMO (laughs) because (laughs) honestly, I was on social media and I saw so many of my friends going to the White House, like pull it up like it was nothing. Like, wait, why are you at the White House like every month on panels and, and talking about policy and issues? Who is putting this together? So I was left out and I felt like, you know, I felt like I should be in that room because I have this whole audience and this and this background in terms of what's going on in the world of women and, and women at work and what we need. So this goes back to something where if you've seen this famous uh, interview that Issa Rae has done, where she talks about networking across and like, it's not always about networking up. So in college, I was always about my business, essentially. Like I was selling t-shirts on campus that said no one ever sold her agenda to like raise money for the website. Everybody knew what my focus was, what my mission was. So fast forward to me having this FOMO moment. And I realized that I know people who work for or used to work for the Obama administration because they were my peers. I had a couple of friends that were in my media fellows class and they ended up working for the Obama campaign because they volunteered when he was still a senator and knocking on doors and they eventually worked for him when we graduated. And we always kept in touch and tried to support each other in ways that we could. So I texted him, his name is David, and he texted me back right away. He's like, I'm going to put you on the email right now. And he put me on the email. Then I got on a call with this woman who was right under Valerie Jarrett, um, like her chief of staff. And she was like, what are you doing next week? And I'm like, whatever I'm doing, I could change my plans. I I thought they would invite me (laughs) to be like in the audience for something. Like I just wanted to just be in the room. I didn't want to be on the stage. And she's like, okay, well, we are going to have you on this panel about issues that millennial women are facing because we're gearing up for this big summit, blah, blah, blah. I hung up the phone. I had said yes, but I was like, what the heck did I say yes to? Like, <laughs> streams is going to be in front of like the chiefs of staff of, of all these major politicians. And I was terrified. <laughs> and I also, it's that imposter syndrome stuff was here. Mm-hmm. But I did it and it was incredible. And it led to them asking me to moderate a panel at the big summit that they were producing. And to this day, I have a good relationship with them. I'm really excited about this new administration, like because my people are back in, in the White House. And so yeah. more things that we'll do with the administration as they um, carve out their agenda for what they're doing to help women. Love it. This last year has been a lot, right? We're dealing with, we're still dealing with the coronavirus pandemic. There's been like a lot of unrest across the country because of racial injustices. 
And then we had a former vice president incite an insurrection on the Capitol. During this last insane year, how have you had to pivot or shift the focus of her agenda? Ooh, this has been the the most trying year for sure, because 2020 was supposed to be our biggest year yet. Every year, you know, we only started making money in 2016, like I said. So every year we've slowly been growing in terms of our reach, in terms of our revenue, all of that. So 2020, we had some deals set up. Drina, we were about to be so lit. <laughs> it happened and everything was just shut down. And it was so hard because I also lost my grandfather at the time. And it also seemed like nothing mattered. Like, why are we doing this if everything could just go away just like that? So it took a lot, but luckily we are purely a digital company first. So in-person events actually were a big part of how we built our audience and, and branded ourselves and built a reputation, ironically. So it was interesting because we are a website, you would think it would be like, oh, just back to publishing as normal. But it did hit us significantly because we lost that part of the business. So we just doubled down on our digital offerings. So we just started to create more programming for our insider community. We focused on that for a few months. At the beginning, when everyone was trying to figure it out, there was a lot of noise, I felt like. A lot of like events, virtual, like here and there. Every day there was a virtual event. And so we didn't want to add to the noise. We wanted to add value and also help our audience when we, where we could. And so we focused on our insiders and created virtual programming for them and, and actively shared resources around things like the PPP loans and just all of the resources that were kind of cropping up because, you know, a, a few was it a, a few weeks after the pandemic started and people started quarantining was the death of George Floyd. And then the response to that was companies starting to step up and realize that we need to invest in the Black community. We need to stand with them. We need to donate, but we also need to provide resources to you know, Black-owned businesses, because that has a ripple effect in terms of the community, in terms of them being able to hire people and creating and fostering an ecosystem where everybody can thrive. Like, finally, they recognize that they needed to do something. So when that happened, I started to apply to a lot of grants. Like, it was part of my job, essentially. Like, every morning I was applying. And I recognized that I was in a unique position where I had access to understand where to look for these opportunities and not many people would or they didn't have the bandwidth to because you're trying to stay sane and you're trying to make sure food is on the table and and zoom school and all of the things that got thrown on our plates at the time so i decided you know i'm not going to just keep this information for myself we all can win and i decided to curate a monthly newsletter of grants where every month we put out a roundup of all the grants that these companies have put together so that our audience can know where to look for the capital where the money resides where the money resides <laughs> how how can someone listening sign up for that just go to your website 
Yep. Just go to our website. There's a box on the homepage that says subscribe for opportunities and events and updates. Just put your email address there and you'll start to get our monthly updates. Got it. And so this is going to be my last question because I'm not going to hold you any longer. We could talk forever though. I, the two part, three part, because we did, we really covered a lot of my early career and not even like the now. <laughs> no, we're getting into it. I'm just trying to see. Well, we can keep going then. Look, we can keep going. So let's talk about what's next for her agenda. What's next? Honestly, we're taking things day by day. And, and that's something that 2020 taught me is quite okay. But we have a lot of potential partnerships coming up. We just closed out an incredible partnership with Bank of America, which was so beautiful to see. It focused on home ownership. Yes, I saw the promos for that. Congratulations. Thank you. It was such a, a, a great moment. Our audience really, really wanted that type of information because you know we started out doing a lot of career stuff initially, but where our focus is on holistic success, so both professional and personal. And so home ownership and home buying is a key part of wealth building and life building. And and that's what you need in order to have a sturdy foundation for you to be a boss or to, you know, do whatever innovative, impactful thing that you want to do in the world. So that was amazing. I want to do more stuff like that, come together with a powerful brand to create programming and opportunities for our audience to learn and to get inspired, but also get access to the resources. Like they came to us and they had this whole billion dollar uh, initiative to help create more homeowners. It's called the Community Home Ownership Commitment, where you could get up to $17,500 to go towards down payment and closing costs. And wow. So- uh- <laughs> yeah. And that's for, that was for low and moderate income potential home buyers, which was key for me because I'm like, yes, there's a, a lot of low income, but a lot of our audience, they're like, you know, managers and like senior directors now, like they're not, you know, going to be able to qualify for the program if it's only low income. So that was major for me. And whenever we partner with a brand, we try to make sure like there's something that our audience can get from it directly, like some type of resource or program or anything like that. That's awesome. That's awesome. From an editorial standpoint, what what's coming up for you? Editorially, we're just going to continue to cover the stories that our audience needs to to read and to see. We eventually want to go into doing more investigative work. That's something future. Um, we're looking at talking to foundations to get a grant to cover that because investigative work is very resource intensive and takes a lot of capital. But eventually we want her agenda to be up there in terms of the New York Times of the world, where we can actually work on stories that not only inspire you and, and not only have an impact there, but also that can win a Pulitzer Prize. Claim it. I'm here for it. What's one piece of advice that if someone's listening to your story and they're like, you know what, if she can do it, I can do it. What's one type of advice you would offer people that are looking to kind of just start something from nothing or they're already on this path and like oftentimes feel discouraged? Hmm. 
there's so much that I could say. And you could get it. It doesn't have to be one one point of advice. You could give you know whatever you want to share. Because I know there's a lot. I mean, I think even just our conversation. I two things that I pulled from you is to do it scared and to shoot your shot. Yep, exactly. I, I was going to say one piece of advice is just just not to let your feelings lead. Don't let your feelings paralyze you. Your feelings, you should listen to them, obviously. Like, I believe gut feelings are real. But in terms of feeling afraid or feeling like you can't do it, you have to just do it anyway and not let that feeling stop you. One of my favorite quotes is to feel the fear and do it anyway. That is something that is very key. Another thing and this is, I love quotes, so I'll go back to another quote, but success is the sum of small efforts repeated day in and day out. And so take the time to set up structures and systems for yourself so that you can continue to put one foot in front of the other and not get overwhelmed by the big goal. Like break that goal down in as many small steps as possible. It's sending those emails. It's sending that follow-up email. It's like cataloging your workflow and having a documentation of it so that when you need somebody to hire somebody to replace you because you need to level up, there's a documentation in, in place of what that workflow is, where the assets are, all of those things. These are the things that people don't talk about when it comes to entrepreneurship. It's very administrative and you need to have strong systems in place in order for you to hire so that you can grow and elevate what you're doing. I love that because a lot of people who think about, you know, entrepreneurship has this quote unquote rep of being like glamorous and it can be, but there's a lot of grunt work that goes into the behind the scenes. And like you said, a lot of administrative tasks that folks really need to like burst themselves with. Exactly. Renisha, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. I hope that your audience gets a lot from this conversation. I hope that you had a good time in the conversation. I did. I did. Uh, How can people follow you? Share with them. Drop your handles. Yes. So if you want to follow the company, we are on Instagram and Twitter and the handle is at her agenda. If you want to follow me personally, I'm trying to get better at sharing things, but I am at Nisha's agenda. So it's N-E-S-H-A-S agenda. You can also text me. Let me get you giving out your number. You can text me at 917-634-4667. There you go. Manisha, thank you so much for joining me today. And I hope folks listening feel inspired and know that you can do anything you set your mind to and do it scared. Exactly. I'm just a girl from Brooklyn with no connections. And look at me. I'm a founder, entrepreneur, full time. And you're a publishing boss. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you.